Chapter Twenty Nine of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine King Ashoka. For some generations after the death of Gautama, these high and noble Buddhist teachings, this first plain teaching that the highest good for man is the subjugation of self, made comparatively little headway in the world. Then they conquered the imagination of one of the greatest monarchs the world has ever seen. We have already mentioned how Alexander the Great came down into India and fought with Porus upon the Indus. It is related by the Greek historians that a certain Chandragupta Maurya came into Alexander's camp and tried to persuade him to go on to the Ganges and conquer all India. Alexander could not do this because of the refusal of his Macedonians to go further into what was for them an unknown world, and later on, 303 B.C., Chandragupta was able to secure the help of various hill tribes and realize his dream without Greek help. He built up an empire in North India and was presently, 303 B.C., able to attack Seleucus I in the Punjab, and drive the last vestige of Greek power out of India. His son extended this new empire. His grandson, Ashoka, the monarch of whom we now have to tell, found himself in 264 BC, ruling from Afghanistan to Madras. Ashoka was at first disposed to follow the example of his father and grandfather and complete the conquest of the Indian peninsula. He invaded Kalinga, 255 B.C., a country on the east coast of Madras. He was successful in his military operations and, alone among conquerors, he was so disgusted by the cruelty and horror of war that he renounced it. He would have no more of it. He adopted the peaceful doctrines of Buddhism and declared that henceforth his conquests should be the conquests of religion. His reign for eight and twenty years was one of the brightest interludes in the troubled history of mankind. He organized a great digging of wells in India and the planting of trees for shade. He founded hospitals and public gardens and gardens for the growing of medical herbs. He created a ministry for the care of the aborigines and subject races of India. He made provision for the education of women he made vast benefactions to the Buddhist teaching orders and tried to stimulate them to a better and more energetic criticism of their own accumulated literature. For corruptions and superstitious accretions had accumulated very speedily upon the pure and simple teaching of the great Indian master. Missionaries went from Ashoka to Kashmir, to Persia, to Ceylon and Alexandria. Such was Ashoka, greatest of kings. He was far in advance of his age. He left no prince and no organization of men to carry on his work, and within a century of his death, the great days of his reign had become a glorious memory in a shattered and decaying India. The priestly caste of the Brahmins, the highest and most privileged caste in the Indian social body, has always been opposed to the frank and open teaching of Buddha. Gradually, they undermined 
the Buddhist influence in the land, the old monstrous gods, the innumerable cults of Hinduism, resumed their sway. Caste became more rigorous and complicated. For long centuries Buddhism and Brahmanism flourished side by side, and then, slowly, Buddhism decayed, and Brahmanism in a multitude of forms replaced it. But beyond the confines of India and the realms of caste, Buddhism spread, until it had won China and Siam and Burma and Japan, countries in which it is predominant to this day. End of chapter 29